Books and reading, at their very best, are a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. I'm your host, Amy. And I'm your host, Carrie. We've been in a book club together for over a decade and enjoy talking about what we're reading, but in so many ways, we are opposites. Carrie is a cat lover, but I'm a dog nut. Amy loves a good party, while I prefer to wear my fuzzy socks while introverting on the couch. But books are the tie that binds. Each week, we have fun conversations with interesting people about how books and reading influence their lives. We will find out what books are on their nightstands and ask them about five things that make them who they are. We invite you to learn more about the many perks of being a book lover. Listeners, this week we have our last replay episode before we start back with season four next week with an all-new group of fascinating bookish guests. We've been recording over the hiatus, and we're excited to introduce you to more book lovers in just a few more days. Our rebroadcast this week is from Season 3, Episode 58 with Claire Wallace, the Executive Director of South Louisville Community Ministries, which also runs the Rosewater Bookstore in coordination with the Bookworks. The community bookstore opened just as COVID was hitting the city in the spring of 2020, and it took several months for them, and everyone, to figure out the new normal. But they are up and running with regular hours, a really great selection of books, and gift items made by artisans in the neighborhood. Located on South 3rd Street, the Rosewater's regular hours are Wednesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., Fridays and Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Sundays from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. It also offers mystery bags. Book lovers can complete a Google form and request books from a certain genre. If you're like me and spend way too much time in the house, something as simple as a mystery bag of books you can pick up curbside is the kind of excitement I'm down for in 2021. Enjoy this episode. This past weekend, many people recognized Independent Bookstore Day, a day to be extra appreciative of their local bookstores and booksellers that give book lovers all the feels. Everyone loves a bookstore, don't they? Our guest today certainly does. When Claire Wallace visits a new place, she always looks for the closest used bookstore. This gave her the idea to open The Rosewater, aptly named after her favorite Kurt Vonnegut book, which she envisions as a comforting living room for everybody. Claire is the executive director of South Louisville Community Ministries, a nonprofit that provides emergency assistance for residents of South Louisville facing crisis, and she was looking for a visible way to do outreach in the neighborhood. The bookstore serves several purposes, to create a warm community space, to bring life to parts of the neighborhood that have seen hard times, to provide transitional employment for residents in crisis, and to offer a service that the neighbors want. Claire grew up in a house filled with hundreds of books, with a mother who worked for a publisher, but her favorites were those that explored other worlds. After Claire left college, she literally went around the world working in international development and as a Peace Corps volunteer. When she settled in Louisville, she chose to land in the most diverse part of the city, which is filled with a wide variety of different ethnicities and income levels. Claire works to bring people together in her adopted hometown. Claire tells us how the Rosewater is pivoting from traditional retail sales to creative services like mystery book boxes delivered to your door due to COVID, why creating a comforting community space for the neighborhood is important to her, and how learning to deal with failure is a skill she learned abroad that helps her create new projects today. We are here with Claire Wallace, who is the Executive Director of South Louisville Community Ministries, and she's also the coordinator of the Rosewater, which is a bookstore associated with South Louisville Community Ministries. So Claire, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Claire, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and how you came to Louisville. Yeah, so it's a long and windy road to Louisville for me. I grew up in upstate New York on a farm. There was a lot of space and have a deep love for the country and then moved to Syracuse University for college and did international relations and policy studies. But while I was there, I spent semesters in DC, New York, and Hong Kong, which led me down the path 
for international development. So from college, went to Southeast Asia with Global Giving Foundation. So I was traveling and meeting with nonprofits and hearing about their challenges and what they do, and then was able to then go back to DC to work for Global Giving in their offices. Started getting that wanderlust again and signed up for the Peace Corps. So then I went to Senegal, which is in West Africa, and was there for two and a half years. Learned a tremendous amount there. That was probably where I did most of my reading. And also, you have a lot of time to think about things. So I pivoted. I came back to the United States and said, okay, I want to restart. Where should I go? And I visited a bunch of friends in a bunch of different cities to try and figure out where I wanted to be. And I visited Louisville. It was a perfect October day. We went to the zoo. It just felt right. Rent was so cheap, which was <laughs> crucial. And I got a job immediately. So I said, okay, I'm going to be here for six months so I can maybe have more than $10 to my name. And I have been here ever since, and it's been more than seven years. So I've settled in. That's pretty uh, crazy and awesome that you could just visit friends and try out their city for oh, yeah. a weekend or whatever, and then just choose. You mentioned being in the Peace Corps. I actually, in college, thought very briefly about going to the Peace Corps, but I'm a big scaredy cat. So I'm always amazed by anybody who joins the Peace Corps and takes off and does that. Yeah, you have to be a little crazy. I think that that's true and was true for everybody that I knew in the Peace Corps. Sorry, guys, (laughs) but we were all a little different. So we always want to know about our guests' reading lives. You know, that's part of what the show is about. And you mentioned that in Senegal, that's where you did a lot of your reading. So tell us about what were your childhood reading habits and how did those change as you became a teenager and then what it's like as an adult now? Yeah, as a kid, our house was full of books. My mom was a a publisher and an editor for a collegiate journal company. And so we were surrounded by books for as long as I can remember. So, I mean, talking hundreds, probably thousands of children's (laughs) books that we could always choose from. I'm one of five kids, so we all had our favorites. I remember, too, we had reading contests and I was very competitive I probably still am and so I would try and read as many books to get the like the little toy in the mail that would come from the state government it worked that program (laughs) Um, when I was younger what I was really drawn to were worlds anything that could push my imagination that was kind of out of this world for sure and I remember even my mom and I can't believe this worked again to wrangle five kids for school was really a challenge and so she would say okay if you all are ready for the school bus I'll read and I remember very specifically it was a wrinkle in time is the memory that I have from Madeline Langle and that was the book that worked you know we all got ready and we all sat down we all listened so Madeline Langle was a launching point for me just fell in love with how it could be so many different worlds and so many fascinating characters and so then I continue to read but when you get into high school and college and all of a sudden reading is what you have to do and (laughs) but I remember someone said to me before I went to the Peace Corps all of your clothes are going to be ruined you'll bring a bunch of stuff that you probably won't use make sure you have one small suitcase of your essentials and then one big suitcase of all your books And I was so grateful for that advice because I did. I had a full bookshelf in my little hut and it made a huge difference to be surrounded by those books. And that's when I read, you know, the big stuff, the Anna Karenina and the Brothers Karamazov and the Grapes of Wrath and East of Eden and all of that. So that kind of solidified my love for literature, I suppose. How much did that suitcase weigh? (laughs) I I had to put a few in the other suitcase because it got over that 50 pounds for sure. Maybe where you were, it was too remote, but were were you able to learn about Senegalese writers or stories through oral tradition? Did you pick up any of those? That's a really good question. Actually, I so I learned Wolof. Wolof and Pular are the two languages in Senegal. And it's actually not typically written. So if something is written in a book, it's going to probably be in French. And so 
no, not really. But at the same time, I mean, everybody's sitting around, so there's so much opportunity just to tell stories about their past and their families and that sort of thing. So it was, it was a totally different culture around that sort of thing, but still deep in storytelling. So let's switch over to the Rosewater and tell us what the Rosewater bookstore is and how it came to be. So the Rosewater is a lot of special things all kind of piled into one little store. It is a bookstore, first and foremost. It is a used bookstore. We also have some trinkets, mostly because that word is just so fun. Um, (laughs) And our volunteer power, we're a social enterprise. So that means that actually it is a not-for-profit and all of those proceeds are going straight back into the community, mostly to families who are in crisis. So, you know, starting a bookstore is really tricky. So, you know, I, I try and not do anything that doesn't have two meanings so that it's always two birds with one stone. And so it is community space. It is a place for people to find a really cozy corner and find that book that they've been probably not looking for, but it's meant for them. And a place for also people to learn about retail. And right now this program is is not happening, but as soon as we're able to kick it back off, when people say, okay, you're in crisis, you should just go back to work, there's typically 10 reasons why their work has paused at that moment. It could be kids, it could be medical issues, it could be lots of things. And so having that transitionary employment is really crucial where you're patient and present and working with somebody who's trying to get back into the workplace. And that's another piece of it. So again, lots of really fun things all crammed into a thousand square feet. So is the Rosewater under the umbrella of South Louisville Community Ministries? That's just one of the things that you all do. How new is it or how long has it been around? Yeah, so we actually opened a holiday shop in December. Um, It's almost like a pilot program. And then we really launched it in February. Great timing, right? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, gosh. But we decided to do that for a couple of reasons. One, we wanted an outward-facing storefront or something that was recognizable and easy to get to and something that the community could be a part of. Because right now our offices are tucked back in and it's a wing that feels like office space, you know? And the idea of creating a welcoming space, a living room for everybody, and surrounded by books also, was something that I really felt strongly about because when you are working with people who have experienced or experiencing trauma, I mean, this is the case for all of us. I mean, we all want to be in a place that feels good. And it's just especially important for people who are going through crisis. And so just to create that extra space and another way to tell the story of our neighbors and the work that we do. So what is the connection between the Rosewater and BookWorks? So the Rosewater is both South Louisville Community Ministries and the Bookworks. So I'm really glad we can talk about this. The Bookworks is essentially the first part. So people are interested in donating books, which people are ready to donate books. It's been amazing. They can give those books, donate them to the Bookworks, which is a nonprofit that employs disconnected youth. So right now they're housed in the YMCA Safe Place, which is only a few miles away from the bookstore. And those young people learn about, again, organizing, curating Excel spreadsheets, all of that good stuff, and while finding also books that they can say, oh, can I actually have this one? Which is a really cool perk as well. And so they essentially pick ones that we need and the cream of the crop and they send them on over to the bookstore. We've been able to also open our doors up to those young people to to spend some time in there too, which is great. So where did the idea of doing a bookstore as opposed to a coffee shop or a bakery or something, how did that come about? Every time I go to a city, The first thing I do is Yelp, you know, where the closest used bookstore is. There is something about a used bookstore that makes you feel like somebody is wrapping their arms around you and telling you that everything's going to be okay. And 
we had a couple in Louisville, both the two that I'm thinking of have shut down recently. And so it felt like, okay, well, someone needs to pick up this work and just go for it. So I did. I talked to a bunch of the bookstore owners in town. It's a very small club, but they were all very kind and supportive. And also, there has not been a bookstore in South Louisville in years and years and years. So it felt right. Also, the, the spot I had my eye on, it's just an interesting building. It's an interesting space. Um, and it had been vacant for 10 years. And so another piece of this is to fill a vacant property so that life can come to that block. So tell us a little bit about the neighborhood that the bookstore is in and the Rosewater part of its mission is to help this neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So South Louisville Community Ministries, we cover all the way up from Fairdale, all the way to like the boundary of University of Louisville past the airport. So it's a pretty big stretch and there's a little bit of everything within that area as well. Specifically where the Rosewater is, is actually the most diverse neighborhood in Jefferson County. So that means that we have multiple cultures, multiple economic statuses, multiple backgrounds. I used to work at the Americana World Community Center and we're just a mile or two away from center so we actually also have a direct connection and relationship with Americana and therefore the international population that's close by. But crisis unfortunately affects many of us. I mean the majority of us are living paycheck to paycheck in this country and when something happens you know your car breaks down or your kid gets sick or you get into an accident then typically you're in a bind when it comes to paying your bills so we help anybody who's in that crisis but we are challenged with the second highest rates of poverty in Louisville and South Louisville so we see a lot of need. I think that's great to have a bookstore there now. My son used to live in in that neighborhood, and I think that your bookstore was opening up just as he was leaving. But it is an extremely diverse neighborhood, and I just think it's great to expand businesses to all parts of the city and they don't all have to be on Bardstown Road or Frankfurt Avenue you know yeah actually right where we are we're on Woodlawn Avenue and there's a new campaign it's called World on Woodlawn to really highlight and encourage all of those international businesses I'm good friends with Francis who has very good Haitian food at Caribbean Cafe mm-hmm. and Annie who has the Vietnamese cuisine and Omar who has the halal market but has an amazing chicken taco you all it's so good (laughs) and so I like going to that street every Mm -hmm. day and seeing my neighbors Um, and we're also making sure that anybody who wants to sell their items especially the refugee and immigrant families who are either at Americana or surrounding the bookstore can sell what they are making and so we have a partnership with the Fiberworks who make bags and and pillows and aprons and it's all in the bookstore and and all of those proceeds go back to the fiberworks so how's the response been from the community to the bookstore well you really want to make sure that when you start a business it is something that the community is asking for we fortunately had a partnership with the center for neighborhoods who had been doing tremendous work in the area that the bookstore is in in beachmont and Southside and all of those neighborhoods and they had done a tremendous amount of work um, asking neighbors what do you want to see and a lot of them said i want a bookstore so Fortunately, we knew already that people would be pleased, mostly. I was nervous that somebody was, but I want, you know, something much more fun and flashy. But so far, this is probably the most surprising part, actually, about the bookstore, because I always want to make sure that I'm, even though it's it's something fun for me and something that I love, I want to make sure that I'm not just taking my culture and setting it down somewhere that's it's rude and not the way to do things I was worried a bookstore was pretentious but that was me being closed-minded because a bookstore is actually one of the most common and accessible places for everybody you know there is 
a book for everybody. And I talk to 16-year-olds who are not interested in anything, but then they ask if they can take a book home. And then you have somebody who is learning English who wants to take a book home. It has been an absolute common denominator, and I suppose I should have expected that, but I've been surprised by it, and that's my own shortcoming. But yeah, great response. I love them all. It's wonderful. The Rosewaters website mentions a connection with the bookstore and Kurt Vonnegut. I am not familiar with this. So can you explain the significance of the name The Rosewater? Yes. So God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater is a Kurt Vonnegut novel. It's not Cat's Cradle or Slaughterhouse-Five, but it is my favorite. He has a way of speaking truths that just punch you in the gut and makes you feel like you want to at least try to be a better person. And it really has a lot of difficult but awesome messaging, especially around what it means to try and be a good neighbor and and how sometimes good intentions aren't really as helpful, but you know, if somebody is just really present, that's when it works. Kurt Vonnegut also has a lot of ties to this area. He grew up in Indianapolis, and actually I think his great uncle had a bookstore in Louisville, downtown, years and years ago. Oh wow. I almost named it the same thing as the uncle's bookstore, but I was really nervous that I was going to get like sued eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's a speaker of truths, and I wanted to honor that. So the Rosewater is connected with Ignite Louisville, which is a Louisville leadership program. How did this relationship develop and how does the Rosewater benefit? Yeah, so Leadership Louisville uh, provides an opportunity for nonprofits to apply to get a team of young professionals to come in and kind of think through a nonprofit challenge with almost like a for-profit lens. I've only been in nonprofit work. Uh, I've never really, first of all, I've never started a business before, not like this. And so they were able to come together and they all have different backgrounds, different expertise. And we had somebody who was in construction and was able to tell me, you know, okay, what should I do here? And it was just a hands-on team that was very involved in the opening and so very appreciative to them so we kind of hate to ask this but with covid going on how has that impacted the bookstore and how has your staff handled that well because you barely just got off the ground yeah it's a little tricky because if i was able to really focus on creative solutions for the bookstore i think that it would all be okay but my job is also the director of south global community ministries and we're expecting eviction court to reopen on the first for non-payments you know like that unfortunately is my priority and focus right now because crisis is meeting 120% more people than we've ever seen before just in our area. And so, you know, my, my head has been down in that kind of work, but we're actually volunteer powered. So we shut down for a little while. Well, because all of retail needed to shut down, but also we wanted to make sure that all of our volunteers stayed safe. We've since reopened just over the weekends. And so we used to be open from Wednesday to Sunday. Now it's just Friday to Sunday. The perk is the volunteers are really flexible because that's what volunteers are. I love you all. Thank you. Um, (laughs) So the staffing issue is a little bit easier. Really, the only thing that we are thinking about is making sure the rent and all of that is paid for but we're lucky to also have opportunities to write grants and and get the paycheck protection program loan and because that does also help with rent costs so we'll be fine we'll make it through so you are still open friday to sunday if people want to come currently unfortunately have a feeling that we're going to go back to being closed. However, this time, I really do think that what we'll do is have our volunteers in the bookstore documenting the books that we have and making sure that they're available. So we just want to make sure everybody stays safe. So you all have a a Facebook page. You're juggling more than one thing. It's not like this is your sole thing. Do you think that they might do like curbside or post pictures or stuff like that? Yeah, 100%. That's totally in the works. Okay. 
it should be in a few weeks. You know, I am hoping that you can either be a member and get a couple of books every month and be surprised with a little thank you goodies inside of that package that you can either pay a little bit extra for to have delivered or pick up, or you can just buy a, a book or two that we do put on our Facebook or Instagram. So we are moving in that direction because I think we have to. I love that idea of becoming a member and having sort of a mystery bag. Like if somebody would tell the volunteers what kind of books they liked mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then you know they could pick a couple books and deliver them to them each month that would be kind of fun and you'll have the choice to see whether or not you like the stack we picked out for you and say try again yeah uh, but <laughs> I, I promise i won't give you anything that's bad unless you ask for something that's bad <laughs> covid has been awful in so many ways but one of the things that i think has been a positive is the way that people have had to get creative in ways that they might not have ever done because they've been forced to do it. And it's sad that we've been forced to do it, but I think creativity has blossomed. Well, and I've always been easily entertained. If I would see a cow driving down the road, I was like, oh, cow, you know, I, I don't need a whole lot to like get me excited, but <laughs> I, it's kind of nice and a little bit kind of precious that something as small as getting a surprise mystery bag of book goodies if you're in your house a lot and you're not seeing your friends and you're not going the way you used to do like something as simple as that has become a big honking deal you know so critical it's like oh there are people outside yeah of my house. yeah and they do think about me mostly because you pay 20 dollars, right, but, right you know but, yeah I, I mean i know my neighbor he had some books he wanted to get rid of and he opened up his garage and he was like you know anybody wants to come look and i walked in last night and it was great it was like 10 minutes of just being out of my house and feeling like sort of i was in a bookstore and yeah, I, I think to, there's something nice about that. To that point, too, we are thinking about having specific time that you can sign up for and you can go in by yourself and not be bothered. Mm -hmm. um, and you can check out even outside the door. Also, when it cools down a little bit, we are going to have a couple of, uh, over the weekend, some outside book sales. So, so there's a couple of things in the works for sure, but books are healing, but also gifts are fun and, and surprises are just needed because everything else is so much the same. So yeah, stay tuned. We'll be offering all of that. And if anybody wants to help do these things. <laughs> you need volunteers. Yeah, let me give you my email address. <laughs> uh, one final question. You had mentioned that you were in Senegal and doing consulting work with nonprofits. So have you found that you're using things that you learned from those experiences to help you with the bookstore portion of, of your work? Definitely. Probably just in my life. I mean, when you live in a place that is completely different than home, you're just going to change if you're going to be there for long enough. And it's actually the things that I carry over with me and that are a part of me now are not things that I would have thought. One is the notion of hospitality. In Senegal, when you say thank you, JHF, the response is nyokobok, which is, well, it's yours. Not the well, but it's it's yours, you know? It, and that notion of you can't thank me for something because it's not mine, it is, it's all of ours. That is something that was absolutely present in the day-to-day, -day, everything that they did. And I realized that my own, no, this is mine, and that is yours, and I need this, and I'll give you that, but only because I don't need it. Like that sense, it was absolutely just a part of, how we're taught in the United States and to, to shift that was really interesting and very difficult, actually. And I think that that is something that I hope to bring and respect and work on for the rest of my life. And then the other piece is failure. There's an incredible amount of humility that you have to have when you are listening and learning. I mean, you're constantly learning. I could be there for the rest of my life and I would still be learning about different cultures and, and different people. And, and so when you are trying to do something, when you're trying to do a project or be in community and offer something up, there's a good chance that it might fail like the first four times. And the idea is saying, okay, well, that didn't work. Let's try this again, you know, and you just trust that the process is okay. So that's kind of why, you know, it's helpful actually that that's my feeling. I roll with the punches 
challenges, okay, sure, problem solving is the thing that I probably do the most of. So, you know, COVID-19 pandemic, I have to shut down my doors a month after I open. <laughs> okay, let's see what we can do with it, you know? And that idea of failure and the being happy with it and okay with it is really important to start something that you've never done. So yeah, I mean, the reason why the Rosewater exists is because I'm okay with failing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that's a great, that needs to be on a t-shirt, you know, maybe that would be a trinket that can make its way into the. <laughs> yeah. I had the whole thing be about actually failure is a good thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. So if people want to donate books to the Rosewater, how do they do that? Is it through Bookworks or tell us how yeah. you can donate? I feel like all of my answers are yes, typically, but Right now, the Bookworks is closed because of the pandemic. YMCA Safe Place has different rules that we have to acknowledge and because there are young people who are there. And so we are currently, if you send me an, a note or you can just put a message in to the Rosewater website and just tell me when you're going to come by. We are accepting a couple of boxes at a time. There are some folks who have an entire house full of books that they're trying to get rid of, and that's awesome, and we will be here for you as soon as the bookworks open. They can handle that kind of capacity. Right now, we have a closet that we can do the sorting in, so we have to do it on a slightly smaller scale, but, but yes, in small doses. And if someone wants to volunteer with the Rosewater, how do they do that? Same process of just reaching out to me. We used to have monthly orientations so that everybody can come together and learn all at the same time. But now it, it's going to be more, I'll meet you at the bookstore when we're closed and I'll walk you through it. It's very easy, actually. <laughs> it's so pleasant. Four people are going to come in maybe during your shift and buy a book. And so the rest of the time you can listen to the music that you want and sit on a comfy chair and read in a really pleasant space so it's a pretty good volunteer gig also to to the point if there is somebody who's bored and interested in doing those extra things that we were talking about delivering books etc we are going to need some volunteers to help us with that soon responsible young people 16 17 18 19 year olds yep so 16 17 you still have to come with a parent okay. or guardian okay 1890 sure okay gotcha <laughs> and so wh where can people find you on social media so Facebook? it's uh the rosewater.org if you just look up the rosewater bookstore on facebook it will be the first thing that pops up um we're also on instagram but i've been really bad about instagram did i mention evictions are happening yes <laughs> I apologize, everyone. So I, it sounds like you need a, a volunteer to handle the Instagram account, feel too. free. Yes. Oh, gosh. Think of all the things we can do if we have all these volunteers. Yep. Well, hopefully, maybe we'll be able to round some up for yeah, you. Yeah, through this show. All right. Well, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about what we're reading. We are back. I'm here with Carrie and with Claire Wallace, and we're going to talk about what we're reading. So I have been gone for a while, Carrie, and you have probably read like 100 books or something. Okay, since well, I've been not gone. quite, but like maybe three. Okay. <laughs> you know, you were only gone for like seven days. All right, something. well, so tell me what you're reading. So I got The Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver, I think, at a Locust Grove book sale. So it had been in my house probably close to a year and I decided I was going to read it. And I love this book and I hated this book at the same time. It gets five stars because it is so compelling. It is the story of, of a white family. The father is a Baptist minister and it's in the late 50s and they go to the Congo to do missionary work. The book is told in sections, and you hear the voices of the mother and her four daughters. It is about their experiences with the father, being in the Congo, and, and what that's like to American sensibilities in the 1950s and early 60s. This gave me 
so much to think about colonialism and just the audacity of white people to think that they can go into other countries and other cultures and dictate what is right and what is wrong. So I found the father absolutely infuriating because that's what he did. He felt like he knew the right way and he was going to make these changes to this tiny little village in the Congo. And it ends up destroying him. It ends up destroying his family. It's not just the story of colonialism. It's also the story of marriage and what happens to women. So it, it sort of compares Africa to women and what happens to women when men try to make all the rules, make all the decisions and not listen. And so I feel like in the last few months, we've been talking about books that help people see the other side, Black Lives Matter, and how white supremacy has operated systemically. And so I feel like this book, The Poisonwood Bible, should be added to that. It's written by a white woman, and it's from the perspective of white women. But I think that it allows you to see the damage of white supremacy, because it damages white people too. Just really, really compelling, really compelling book. Have you read Things Fall Apart by Genoa Achebe? Achebe? Yes. Okay. Yes, I have. I've read this one, but many years ago. I've not read the other, but from what I understand, that has some similar yes. themes to it. Yes. I mean, it's been a while since I've read that. Yeah. So have you read this book? I have, yeah. I was just wondering. I actually read it in Senegal. Oh, oh wow. wow. Which was interesting. I, I actually read a lot of literature about white people in Africa while I was there and it did paint a picture for sure and fortunately the the Peace Corps talks about that head-on and it's just so different compared to really any work that I had done previously to with international development because the idea was there was this constant humility and respect and you know you're there to learn and be quiet really and essentially the only thing that you can do well and right in my opinion is well I made a lot of compost because I could do that and I knew that the soil would be better and I could leave that and I know that I, that was no harm compost is always good and then the second thing was to just provide tools like literally tools because I was an agricultural volunteer that they would otherwise not have so use my direct line to the American wealth to essentially offer that up however it is the reason why I did not stay in international development because I did see how harmful even giving rice away can be on a mass scale and people say well you just said that we should be giving everything that we have and it's like yeah but there's a nuance to that you know that's within a community when you're outside of a community when you're in a cubicle in DC and you're making decisions on behalf of a community that you do not know there's a very good chance that it is not the thing that they want or need, and it can be harmful. So hmm. that's probably the biggest reason why I'm in Louisville. <laughs> it's because there's still a beautiful international community here that I can also live in and be a part of instead of it being so theoretical. So yeah, it, it made a huge impact on me, that <gasps> book. Wow. Well, what are you reading, Claire? So I've read articles about this because it was really bothering me because right when the pandemic started us, we're all told to stay at home. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be like Peace Corps all over again. I'm going to read so much. And then I found out that it was really hard to concentrate for some reason. And I said, this can't be just me. Like if something is going on with my brain, I cannot do this as much as I used to. And I found that it's because we are working like overtime trying to find a resolution to something that doesn't have a resolution and it's stressing us all out and making it really hard to concentrate. So I have spent a lot of time reading things that are fun and that's actually great. I'm really excited about it. So last night I was reading The Lost Queen um, by Signe Pike. And it's like a combination of Outlander and oh. Camelot. And I just oh. finished reading John Steinbeck's interpretation of King Arthur and the Round Table and those old tales. And so it's very much on my brain. But it's beautifully written. And that's my issue. I don't want to read something that's 
fun, but then also so poorly written. And so this is that beautiful in between, and it's so. Great. Is it fantasy, historical fiction? How would you categorize it? No, I mean it's in the time of like right before King Arthur and all of that would be my guess. So like. 500 AD. But that world and anything that comes from that time is magical. I mean, Merlin was magical, but it also was passed down as story, but told as if it was true. And so that sense of it being, you know, these wisdom seekers and that have an ability to know what's going to happen to some extent, but not because they're magical creatures, but because they're paying attention to like the wind and stuff. Um, so that perfect level of magic and history and is there uh, some romance in it as well i'm gonna imagine they're setting it up but i'm still in the part where the protagonist is uh, 12 so oh okay <laughs> not quite there <laughs> but i'm gonna guess so we'll okay see. i mean okay. you can't comp- compare it to outlander and then not have it <laughs> but also for my work if, if people are interested in community organization in a way that is safe and good and kind. I'm reading Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown, and it is so good and so interesting. And really, it's it's a different way of thinking on multiple levels, but it's, it's excellent. Well, Amy, you've been doing some dabbling. You really are the person that introduced me to graphic novels. I had never read any graphic novels until about a year ago. And you encouraged me to read one. And so at this point, I've probably read four or five. I mean, I'm not like reading them all the time, but I will if I hear of one that intrigues me, I will read one. So the most recent one I read just the other day was called This One Summer by Jillian Tamaki. And it was illustrated by her cousin, Mariko Tamaki. And this book, it was a Caldecott Honor book in 2014. And I had to look up what the Caldecott Award was because I sometimes get it mixed up with the Newberry and, you know, they're all for sort of different things. Well, the Caldecott is a award that's given in children's and young adult literature, but it's given for the artwork. So basically it's given to the illustrator. And so I will say that in this graphic novel that the illustrations were beautiful. The storyline itself, though, was kind of meh. And it's about a young girl named Rose. She's maybe 12. She's on the precipice of being a teen and finding out about more adult issues. And she goes to the beach every summer with her family to the same cottage. And over the years, she's developed a friendship with another girl named Wendy, whose family also rents a cottage every year at the same beach and Wendy is slightly younger she's like maybe 10 or 11 and over the course of the book Rose's usually joyous summer experience is a little dark as her mother is depressed and her parents are fighting there's also another storyline where Wendy and Rose are kind of obsessed with some older teenagers that hang out at the local corner store and these teenagers are dealing with adult issues like teen pregnancy So I liked this book. I didn't love this book. I didn't love the storyline. It felt a little empty to me. It didn't feel completely fleshed out. And so what I wanted to talk about today was about graphic novels in general and how you categorize a good graphic novel. So my thought has been that the added benefit of a graphic novel is to be able to see the author's story as they see it in their head by using pictures. And in this particular case, the pictures are better than the story. So it isn't really equal, in my opinion. So to me, that doesn't make for great graphic novels. The ones I really appreciate are the ones that are illustrated by the author themselves. So this brings me back to the very first graphic novel that you told me to read, which was My Favorite Thing is Monsters by Emile Ferris. And when I read this a year ago, and in fact, I talked about it on the show, I didn't quite know what to make of it. The artwork is fantastic. And I said that at the time. I mean, it is amazing. And there's so much going on in the story, so many different storylines, so many layers. But in many ways, it was like a comic book. And I'd never read comic books. So that was a little foreign to me. And yet it was very sexually graphic. But the protagonist is a kid. So all of those things together confused me. And I didn't really know what to make of it. And I think I said on the show when I was talking about what I was reading that I could appreciate it, but that it wasn't for me. Well, I want you to know 
that I have gone back on Goodreads and I have thought about this quite a bit after I read this last graphic novel and I upped my star rating from three to four and a half for that book. My analogy to it is this. Now that I have read others that I don't think live up to that same graphic novel, it's sort of like the very first time I tried Indian food. So I grew up in a family where my mother cooked with like no spices at all. And so the first time I was introduced to Indian food, I was probably like 19 or 20. And it tasted really good, but it was confusing because they were spices that I'd never had before. And it was like overwhelming to my palate. And I remember my stomach hurting the whole rest of the evening. And so I didn't try Indian food again for a little while, but then it has now become my favorite cuisine. I love all the, you know, the complex flavors. And and so I'm going to compare my first impression of my favorite thing is monsters to my first impression of Indian food. But I want to know what things does a graphic novel have to have to consider it a good graphic novel? Well, I've read fairly widely, I guess, of graphic novels. You I read mean, a lot. I, you I, read a lot I of them. I do read a lot of graphic novels. You know, I mean, there are some graphic novels I've read that I'm like, eh. You know, I mean, it's kind of like any book. It, it's got to have a, a compelling story. But I look at the visual as perhaps giving the reader the opportunity to look at the story in a more expansive way or from a different lens or something like that. It adds something to whatever the story is. So I'll I'll give an example. New Kid by Jerry Craft, which won the Newbery. And I had bought that for my son a long time ago. But I just recently read it and I gave it five stars. I think it's a really great graphic novel. But the story is very personal and the illustrations add to that story. Really, to have a good graphic novel, I think you have to have both. You have to have a really strong story and you have to have illustrations that take that story to another level. And it's kind of like with any book. If you think about all the different components that make up a story, plot and characterization and setting, and one of those things isn't strong, that's going to have an impact on the overall story. So I just feel like with graphic novels, the illustration is one of those components. It's just as important as plot and setting and characterization. It's just one more layer, I think. So that's how I think of it. Mm -hmm. Have you read any graphic novels? A couple. The Watchmen is probably the most famous, I would say. And I think that it's a really good question of like, why? Why are there illustrations? And I think that for like The Watchmen, it allows an absurdity, takes us to a different level that our brains would would easily go to. And so that it can concentrate on dialogue and and these characters, but then you can see this backdrop of, of something that's kind of insane, but in a really fascinating way. I think that The Watchmen is an example of that. But no, on my shelf, and I've heard amazing things about this one, is Saga. Mm. So I've heard from a lot of folks who who do read graphic novels, that that's a really important one to read. So I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, lots of good stuff. We will be back in a moment and we'll be asking Claire Wallace her top five. We are back with Claire Wallace and we're going to be asking her her top five. Number one, Everybody misses road trips. At least I do. What has been the top road trip you have taken? And what is the one you most look forward to taking in the future? Oh, yes. Road trips are so wonderful. And something that we can do at least a little bit more than we would be able to fly and that sort of thing. So my favorite road trip was from Louisville. My husband and I went up and to get from here to the Adirondacks, you have to go through Ohio, and that part's a bummer, just go really fast. (laughs) But you'll get to the Adirondacks and camp for a night or two, and then we went up to Montreal, over to Quebec City, then down the coast of Maine. We kept going down the coast and then cut through New York City, and it just so happened that my friend was playing a concert right when we were cutting through the city. So we stopped for a piece of pizza and a concert and hugs, and then we went back home. And that loop is really great. So I would highly recommend, because as soon as you get up to upstate New York, all of that driving feels easy. 
Well, and Carrie and I are both huge fans of Quebec City. Mm-hmm. We've both been there, and it's such a cute, quaint It's wild town. that you can just drive to a place that feels like a completely different well I'd say completely different country it is in a different country (laughs) but you know what I'm saying like a completely different something you'd have to fly to exactly and one that we're hoping to do is well trying to get up and and around Banff National Mm. Park yeah Yeah. so fingers Uh, crossed I only see pictures of that but uh, I dream so like would you go up through Michigan or through Wisconsin and then actually I what I'll probably do is only drive one way mm. and then fly back mm-hmm. um, or vice versa. Yeah, we would probably potentially go down the farther west and then come back through the desert. So that one would be a, a big old road trip. The idea was that I, I always wanted to go to all of the places when I had the energy when I was younger to do the stuff that was like a little bit tricky where you like went to hostels and and all of that but i uh went to costa rica a couple of years ago and we stayed in a hostel i was like oh i'm i've crossed that line i'm too old for this i went to bed when everyone was getting ready to go out yeah. so They need to have like sort of middle age hostels it's called, for it's, like it's called a hotel. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think so. So, are you all the type of people that stop at all the little quirky museums, like the Scarecrow Museum? And actually, since I've read American Gods by Neil Gaiman, he talks about how like all those roadside attractions are the place where there's like energies and spirits or something along those lines because there's so much concentration of interesting characters but only since i read that book it's like well maybe i will stop at this like (laughs) rock mountain where i can see seven states yeah (laughs) i have one child who whenever we would take trips he always wanted to stop at the weird museum and everybody else was grown do we have to stop at the butter museum (laughs) but it was kind of fun So usually summer is the time for outdoor musical concerts and festivals, and we don't have any of that going on this year. But what has been the top concert that you've attended? Yeah, I have had the pleasure of going to many festivals, but those kind of all run together. But there is one concert that stands out. Somehow I got tickets. I don't know how to a compilation concert. It was a fundraiser, I think, for like Free Tibet because there was a bunch of Tibetan monks there performing, which was just a really cool way of, of ending the concert. But among this lineup was unbelievable. And I didn't even know it until I got there. So I don't know how I got this ticket. And it was Lou Reed before he died and Blondie and Sigur Ross and Amos Lee and Philip Glass. And there was so much talent on that stage that evening and then a whole bunch of Tibetan monks like doing their thing and then they all came out at the end and and performed I mean it was wild it was so strange and I think about it a lot did the Tibetan monks perform with any of the people or they did their own thing yeah I don't know if that translates to the because it's those big long horns I don't know maybe Sigaross actually could do something with that sound actually but they (laughs) they didn't You like to kayak. What began this hobby, and do you have a top place you like to go to kayak? Yes, I love kayaking because, so I'm kind of annoying in the sense of, like, if I find a hike and there's, like, too many people on the hike, I'm like, this is ruined. And it's because I was super privileged as a kid and had a whole farm to, like, run around on, and it was, like, a town in the upstate New York was super rural so it's like even beyond the farm I would just like be meandering in woods that belonged to other people which was okay back then I suppose so I'm just very used to having nature to myself that is something that most people never experience let alone have that happen over and over again so kayaking is the closest thing if you get into a kayak and you float down a river you can probably find some peace and it's also just something about being on water I'm not much of a swimmer because I get cold really easily and I just hate being cold so the water is gonna have to be 80 degrees and the temperature is gonna have to be like 95 outside before I'm gonna get in but I love being near and around it and 
I also really don't like doing the same thing over and over again, so this pandemic is especially hard for me. Kentucky is awesome for this. You can find new places to kayak, like an hour radius around Louisville. There are multiple places to go. So I haven't found a favorite yet, but my favorite thing is that I get to go to all different places. I agree with you on the hiking thing. And what I found (laughs) really difficult this spring, it was really hard because people who normally don't spend a lot of time outdoors were spending a lot more time outdoors. And so I would think, okay, where can we go that nobody else is going to be? And we would go there and there would be people, which people are looking for stuff to do, but it made it very difficult because... Like at that point, we didn't know how far away from people we had to be to be safe. So that was a little hard. But I've been trying to find places that aren't in Louisville that are fairly close to hike. Yeah, my husband reminds me that when we're hiking and I say, man, this is so beautiful and everything is so perfect. Why aren't there more people here? Everyone's crazy. And then I simultaneously, sometimes in the same hikes, like get mad that I see another like person. <laughs> like Claire, you cannot say both. <laughs> but I do feel both. I want everyone to enjoy it, and I also want to just. They, have that you want them to enjoy it on their own time and not near you. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> All right. So you mentioned that you've spent a lot of time overseas. So what is the top aspect of Asian culture? and Senegalese culture that you came to appreciate? This is kind of the same answer as before, but specifically when I was in Asia, it's actually similar to Senegal in a way, but it's shown differently. And while traveling throughout Asia, and granted, I was in China, Cambodia, and Laos, and Vietnam, and Thailand, and then went over to India. So there's like a lot of different cultures there, and I just wasn't there long enough to really have that same in-depth experience that I did in Senegal. But something that I that I did notice, especially in Southeast Asia and China, is this sense of interconnectedness. You are aware that your actions have a direct effect to somebody else. And so while I love all of our individualism and being absolutely just boldly yourself I also think that there is a beauty in being a part of a network of people and understanding that you are a part of a interconnected community and it, that is very much felt in Asia and I, I do love that uh, and also the food was really amazing oh my gosh oh I could move there and just eat forever probably my favorite food would be Hong Kong and Vietnam. Oof, so good. And then, you know, Senegal, it's it's where my heart is. You could walk in any house in that entire country and they will tell you to sit down and they will feed you no matter what. Even if you are a neighbor that's annoying, they will allow you to do that. I mean, it is so gracious. Takes Southern hospitality to a whole new level. How big was the village that you were in? Well, I was in Chess, which is not quite a village, but a city. It was actually the second largest city in Senegal. But most of my time was in a, a compound, which was like our own little village and spent the most time there. But I should say I had a, a sand track nearby that I could run on and I could take walks. And a white person is called a tubob <laughs> in Senegal. And so that like, we call them the tubob restaurants. You only have a stipend there that should match just your basic needs. So I couldn't live in the lap of luxury. So the restaurant was always a treat, but I had access to that, which I do feel to my friends who were in like the middle of nowhere and it took hours to get to anything i got lucky and they know it too they would always remind me (laughs) i'm interested by what you were saying about asian culture and that they view our interconnectedness almost like an ecosystem Mm -hmm. in biology and i've never really thought of it that way and we're a part of it too we just forget faster (laughs) it's just not something that we're thinking about as much so last question My oldest son would like to study overseas. So what is the top way you'd advise someone to prepare in order to spend a prolonged amount of time in another country? The less you take with you, the better. And that includes preconceived notions. 
Except books. We've talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it is actually really hard to find an English bookstore in a lot of places. You can find just about everything else. But if you're going to a country where English isn't the first language, it is really difficult to find books. And it's expensive to ship. So with that being the exception, the very relevant exception to this conversation, go with an open mind and a light backpack and see what happens. Less is more. Less is more. For instance, I took a bunch of clothes with me to Senegal and I had to wash all of my clothes by hand and that's a lot of friction and so get destroyed. But it worked out because they have this thing called Fugijai, which is essentially all of the thrift stores in the United States, if they can't sell their clothes or they have too many, they essentially ship them over to West Africa and there are these piles of clothes and like I already like going to thrift stores to buy my clothes but this stuff it hadn't been picked through by all the cooler people than me who were <laughs> and know the timing of when people put out clothes there were some great finds and that's the thing you'll find what you need when you get there I think that's good advice yeah for lots of things mm-hmm. less is more <laughs> Well, it has been so great to talk to you today. It's been super interesting. And we hope that the Rosewater is going to do well. And I'm looking forward to visiting it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots, community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.